to Centrica's Power to the People podcast. I'm John Tickle, and I'm really glad that you've joined me for this episode, The Journey to Electrification. If you've heard our previous podcasts, you'll know that I've certainly been on a journey of discovery about electric vehicles and the part that EVs can play in our road to decarbonisation and net zero. I've promised myself that I will be driving an EV in a year's time. I'm taking a close look at my charging opportunities. So at this stage of my journey, I want to explore what my relationship with my car will look like in a year's time, and more generally, what the future holds for us all in terms of our journey to electrification. So, I've committed to an EV in a year's time, but I totally understand that many people are still wary. Although they see the opportunities, they also see the obstacles. Let's hear from Sue and Simon. First off, as you'll hear, Sue says it's not so much the price that's putting her off. Yes, I have looked at the cost side of it, and of course it's a bigger investment at the moment, but fundamentally I think it's one of the most important things that we need to do. Bearing that in mind, I would actually be prepared to make the investment, but it's really the range that's stopping me at the moment rather than the cost. And just knowing where the charging points are. I live in West Yorkshire, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. I know that around us at the moment there are very, very few. And I'd be a bit nervous about setting off, you know, making sure that I could get to a charging point. I would love an electric car. You know, I've seen Teslas driving around. They're very sleek, very swish, very quiet. Uh, they're, They're very expensive at the moment. It's definitely range as an issue but not only range it's the idea that if you do run out of energy it's going to take you four or five hours to charge it up so if you could charge up in five minutes the range wouldn't be an issue i need to be able to pull in somewhere you know stick the plug in the car go and buy a bag of minstrels come back out get in the car and it's ready in the way that we buy petrol i think until that happens it's going to be really difficult changing people's mindsets chris jackson is head of fleets at centrica I asked him whether Sue and Simon's concerns are typical. I'd say yes, uh, they are typical. And, and Simon speaks of the many, uh, many millions of people who don't yet understand electric vehicles and the subtle mindset change required to get, to get the best out of them. And that mindset change is centred around do something else while charging instead of the fossil fuel mindset of driving from full to empty and then stand there refuelling for seven minutes before repeating. It is, uh, you know, inexorably linked to ubiquitous charging, so charging everywhere. We're not there yet, obviously, uh, but long-distance journeys are normal today with, with a little bit of planning, and in, it, in and of itself, this planning is going to diminish over time as the infrastructure is put in place where people need it. And personally, I will also say from experience that the mindset change happens, uh, happens very quickly, uh, and you do soon learn to adapt. But Let's not kid ourselves, there's still much to do here. Finally, Sue mentions, you know, distance makes me nervous. General Motors actually wanted to trademark the term range anxiety 10 years ago to sell more combustion engine cars. This is true, though. We do need more of the visible, reliable and convenient high power chargers at locations where people will stop as part of a natural break on a long journey. 
So what I'm doing here, you can see we have a charger here that's mounted on the outside of our terrace house and the relatively long cord which is looped over it and so I'm unlooping it now and I'm taking it over our bike box to the street here and then I've unlooped it so that... This is Maya, who is something of a role model for me. She lives in a terraced house in the city of Oxford and has an external charger fitted to the outside wall of her house. We have this mat that we've got and that mat makes the cord sit flat on the street. And we actually have a wheelchair user on the street. They don't have any problems getting over it. And, um, and if anything, people have been, I think, really pleased to, to see us adopting this technology. Maya owns a Tesla and is very positive about her and her family's relationship with their EV. They were a bit tentative to start with, but they've worked it all out now. We were actually one of the few people in the UK to buy a used Tesla. We knew that there were several charge points in our neighbourhood. We had recently done a renovation and had a, a charge point externally installed. And so we thought, why not? Let's do it. And we were certainly a little bit frightened, but we did buy a, um, a Tesla because we knew that it had its own charging network. And that allayed our concerns a little bit, that in a worst-case scenario, we drive 15 minutes to the supercharger. The longest it would take is, is 45 minutes to charge it from zero to full. Most of the time, we've been able to charge in front of our house or charge at the few charge points that are available within, you know, within walking distance of the house. We've been overall really pleased and really happy um, with it, and we feel like also it's part of the next generation. We should be a part of that. We heard Maya point out how she feels reassured by the charging infrastructure that comes with owning a Tesla. I put it to Centrica's Chris Jackson. Shouldn't such charging opportunities be open to all? He gave me some background. Way back in you know, 2012, Tesla built its own charging network and they built it out in advance of the demand of the cars being available. And at great cost to themselves, you know, it cost them billions of dollars and it shows no signs of slowing down either. They knew without it, people wouldn't buy their car and they wouldn't feel comfortable doing long journeys. Um, they are the only car manufacturer to think that charging the electric car isn't someone else's problem. And what they've done to remove the stress out of charging on the go is still the gold standard today. And in doing this, they've completely disrupted the automotive industry. I genuinely believe that without Tesla, we wouldn't be having this conversation about mass electrification today. It would be another five years might even be another 10 years into the future if they hadn't done what they've done. However, your point about the infrastructure being accessible to all is a really critical point. There are too many siloed networks in the UK, meaning the interoperability of charge points. And so, you know, a seamless experience for the EV driver across the country is still very much a work in progress. You know, there has been good progress, uh, you know, with contactless payment being you know, rolled out across the various charging networks, but there's still friction from too many apps and sometimes specialist knowledge required to access or use the charge points. It's important to realize that you do have to change. You do have to change a little bit the way you think, and you have to think, have we charged the car? As people did 100 years ago for their petrol cars, you have to think about, is my car fully charged before you set off? The few times that we haven't been able to charge in front of our house, it's been really frustrating because there's a charge point in the neighborhood and we get there and it's broken. And, you know, it's not that old. And then we've called the council and the council said, oh, you know, we've subcontract with, with this company. So 
I think there are some growing pains to be overcome. The councils probably could do more to help with that by listening to what citizens are saying about what the real hurdles are for them, you know. And um, I do think as you get the kind of first movers, the first people doing it, and people think, oh, it's doable. If you've done it, I could, right? And, and I think we were concerned because we hadn't seen anyone in the neighborhood do it. But um, we had spent two years in California and had, we had seen people just rave about the ability to drive electric cars without really thinking too hard about it once you made some basic behavioral changes. Maya talked there about the subtle changes of mindset and adjustment needed to embrace EV ownership and also the lack of public charging opportunities for all. However, there's some good news from Denmark. We actually find there's a huge potential in reducing how much public charging we actually need. That's Peter Bach Andersen, senior researcher at Denmark's Technical University in Copenhagen. I was lucky enough to connect up with him on Zoom and hear about his research project. I understand that you've been working on a project called FUSE. Could you tell us what that acronym stands for and what it's been researching? The FUSE project is Frederiksberg Urban Smart Electromobility. Uh, so we wanted to come up with a clever acronym and then made it, make it fit to the, the description. But Frederiksberg is this municipality we're working with. It's the municipality that has the highest population density in Denmark, but they're also quite proactive in, in trying to encourage electric vehicles and in electrification of both their own vehicle fleet, but also the cars owned by the inhabitants. So in, in that project, we are working to both understand kind of how do we see that they best meet the charging demand of both the inhabitants and the users of the municipality. So where is it most convenient? Where is it most economic to put up the charging infrastructure? And the second aspect is uh, kind of smart integration with the power system. So if we, if we make sure that those charges are smart, and can communicate with the power system. How can we avoid unnecessary investments in the power system, but also how can we optimize the use of renewable energy when we charge the electric cars? And I understand that the FUSE project has created some interesting insights about the need for public charging infrastructure. Yes, if you make sure that all people who are living in some kind of shared or, or having some kind of shared parking facility at where they live with others, if you make sure that there's enough charging options there, and if you then take everyone who has good parking conditions at work and also provide them with charges, you could actually cut up towards 90% of the public charging demand. And that's both most convenient for the uh, EV owners, and it's also cheaper to put up charging at these locations versus putting up charges at the at the curbside in the inner cities. And for those people who remain, who cannot charge at their house and cannot charge at the work, in ideal case, you can, you can actually satisfy all your charging demand. If you imagine that all, every time you go to a shop and every time you go to the cinemas or any time you go do sports, if you're always sure there's a charge at those locations, actually you don't even have to deal with charging close to your own house. So it looks like I will need to think about charging at work, as I seldom even manage to park my car outside my house. Except, of course, when I'm recording for this podcast. Ironically today, I'm standing outside my house looking at my car. 
And this is probably the first time I've had a, a parking space outside of my own house in many a week. It's a free-for-all, and normally I'm, I've parked 50 yards up the road. But today, it, it's right here in front of me. But even so, you can see that with the need to get prams down the pavement, there is no possibility of trailing a cable from my wall of my house and plugging it into my car. People would just trip over it. Centrica's Chris Jackson says we need to think strategically about where we install chargers, and he agrees that people like me, without off-street parking, are currently at an unfair disadvantage. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Electric vehicles cannot be the preserve of those lucky enough to have their own driveway. Charging a car while parked all day at the offices is really no different from it being parked at a driveway at home overnight. And what we're starting to see from our uh, business customers is a requirement to provide a mixture of chargers at workplaces that cater for, for both these longer, slower charging sessions and higher power chargers for employees that will require uh, a faster recharge time. I do actually believe that we'll get to a point reasonably quickly where cheaper, slower chargers do become ubiquitous. I'm pleased to hear this. I'm totally open to charging at work, if I can, and indeed anywhere I go in my day. But I'm intrigued to find out what other charging opportunities there are in my neighbourhood. There are a few lamppost chargers in my street, but not near enough to my house. So off I go foraging for public chargers, and after a little walk over the railway bridge, behold... I've arrived at a bank of three charging stations on a, a leafy street, the other side of the railway tracks from me. The, the road is far wider. Uh, there's obviously off-street parking in every house, and so there aren't very many cars on the road. What you do have is three parking bays next to the pavement and three of these white charging stations. They're from a company called Source London, and they maintain the public charging infrastructure across London. And it's obviously up and running because there's quite a racket coming from it. I, I don't know why that is, but it's humming fit to burst. I imagine it must be quite annoying to live next to one of these things. Now, there's quite a lot going on here. There's a touchscreen at the top, and it's telling me I have to tap my card and, and log in. Um, but there are a number of connections as well. There's what I can describe as a, a, a male connector and a female connector. So there's a cord that you must pull out of the charging station and plug into your car. And then there's another socket in which you must obviously take the cord that you've got in your car and plug it into the charging station. So it seems to cater for at least a couple of different charging systems here. So anyway, that's where I'll be going to charge my car. Simona Sulikova has just completed her PhD on how walking and cycling can help us not only move away from carbon emission intensive transport, but also make us healthier as human beings. She's also been part of the EU's PASTA project, which stands for Physical Activity Through Sustainable Transport Approaches. And Simona is, of course, delighted to hear that I will have to walk or bike to my new charging opportunity. Well, to be honest... I think that's actually quite beneficial in terms of the health that you will gain from that walk to and from. If it's a mile, then that gets you probably to almost your daily minimum requirement. And focusing on the health benefits, then actually for people who switch from driving to walking and cycling, men on average lose about four kilos and they maintain that weight loss over a period of years. And for women, that changes slightly smaller. It's about 1.5 kilos, but it's 
still there to a certain extent. Well, I'm pleased to report that I can verify your data. I bought an electric bike conversion last year and I ended up the year five kilos lighter than I started the year. Oh, that's so good. I'm so glad to see that that actually happens in real life as well, not just in my statistics. But in terms of the carbon benefit of switching from driving to cycling, just one trip a day, you could actually save about 6% of your total annual emissions. And that's not just transport. That's your household energy bills. That's your food. That's everything put together. So the potential is quite large. Let's cut to the chase, Simona. Am I thinking like a dinosaur already in 2021? Should I be preparing for a completely different future? Am I wrong to be thinking about buying an electric vehicle right now? Well, that depends on where you live, because in some places you just won't get around without a car, in which case, absolutely, electric vehicle all the way. If you have the ability to choose slightly different options, then maybe looking at a cargo bike and a cargo electric bike might be a nice um, different option. Or quite frankly, starting car clubs and investing into, you know, Uber was invented to be a car sharing app rather than a taxi app initially. And so I think we should move towards more of that car sharing in the future as well. Um, Particularly if we have autonomous vehicles in about, you know, in Singapore in about three years time in other countries slightly later, then you won't really need one because you won't really need to even drive. And Centrica's Chris Jackson is in agreement. For sure. Um, you know, global pandemic notwithstanding, obviously. I believe you know, a natural um, evolution for mobility trends is towards uh, you know, a connected, autonomous, shared and electrified future. Uh, that future mobility utopia would not only be zero emissions, but you know, zero congestion and zero accidents and possibly zero ownership too if autonomous driving really does become a reality and and, and at Centrica we you know we absolutely believe that collaboration is is key to the changing needs of our customers uh, and a recent example is our participation in the, uh, the vehicle to grid trial called um, Electric Nation uh, which is going to demonstrate that electric vehicles will play a, a really essential role to support the power grid. You know, as more and more households and businesses not only consume energy, but also produce it and store it too. Electric Nation Vehicle to Grid, to which Chris referred, is a project of Western Power Distribution and CrowdCharge. And I'm here in Nottingham to talk to the brains behind it. My name is Mike Potter and I am CEO of CrowdCharge and also to one of the very important participants in the project. Hi, I'm Rosita Chudasama, and I'm one of the early participants in the Electric Nation project. In fact, Mike, Rosita and I are outside Rosita's townhouse, which is part of a modern, pretty eco-development built into the footprint of an old industrial estate in Nottingham's Trent Basin. We're standing uh, outside your carport looking at your electric car and quite a lot of gubbins on the wall. So can you talk us through what that technology is and how you got involved with the project? 
Sure. So I'm very interested in um, vehicle to grid as a concept because I was already driving electric prior to hearing about the project. Um, I was also um, one of the participants in the first phase of the Electric Nation project, so benefited from one of the other charge points that they installed. Um, And then as this phase came along, I'm one of the early guinea pigs for them to test out the equipment on. I get the impression there have been a a lot of different tranches of trials of of technology here. Uh, The latest edition looks particularly sexy and it's black and, and sleek. Um, Mike, could you tell us what we're looking at here and your involvement in the projects, please? Sure. So the kit on the wall, the sleek charger that you're talking about is a bi-directional charger. So it, it can take energy out of the battery of the car as well as putting it back into it. And this is a new charger made by a company called Wallbox. It's the size of a double toaster, roughly. And there's also on the wall there a controller that we've developed, particularly for the project. So it's got a lot of metering in there. It meters if you've got solar, solar, what your home's doing, what the charger's doing. And then there's a little computer in the back of it as well that is designed to control the charger locally. So if we lose communications to it, it can, it can still keep functioning. We're looking at the, uh, uh, the street of the future, if you like. So we're imagining that in a few years, when there are millions of EVs and we all have different charging tariffs from suppliers, those suppliers may have different strategies in how they're going to fill your car up or take energy out of it. So with Western Power Distribution, we decided, right, we'll, we'll actually work with suppliers and let them come up with the strategies rather than us pretending we know anything about that. So we have uh, four suppliers, and one of those is British Gas, I'm really pleased to say, that are helping us with that. And they are going to give us the strategies of when they want the energy to come in and out of the cars. And we're going to put all of that together to model a street of the future to see what the impact of this sort of technology is so that the planning can be done to work out if there's any changes that need to be done or you know how how can that be used to enable us to take more renewable energy even more and maximize or optimize the use of the wires that come to your house because that's what it's all about some of the homes in the project also have solar as well as the V2G, which is going to be really exciting because the sum total of the low-carbon technologies may be their houses begin to disappear from the network because, you know, realistically, that would be the ultimate aim for that, that sort of um, uh, technology in a home. So the, the, the strain on the network is actually lower with these things than higher. It seems like you're putting a lot more tech in. It's going to put a bigger strain on the network, but it actually could be way lower. So it's fantastic sort of win-win just for a bit of software and tricky timing of things we can make things a lot better i'm quite interested in how i might get a slice of the pie out of all this new paradigm i can imagine that for instance i might be able to drive to work might be 20 miles fill up my 300 mile battery in my car drive another 20 miles back home and then discharge it into my house and that's free energy Or I could have solar panels on my roof and that would be free energy into my house and my car. Is there going to be a revenue stream or a a money-making opportunity for me out of this new paradigm? Definitely using your car as an energy wallet could be a thing so that you could take energy and then discharge it at the right time of day for it to come back at a higher price than when you filled it up. And definitely if you've got solar 
you're, you're actually filling up for free uh, aside from the capital cost and then you could then take that and discharge it somewhere else you might give it to your employer at peak time so uh, we're going to have to wait and see, I think. It's very, very interesting. I love that phrase. Your car as an energy wallet. That one's going to stick with me. I think that's a really, really good hook. Yes. Yes, of course it is. It's, yeah. it's a place where you can store energy. And nowadays that means money. So, of course, my car is my wallet. When, when can we expect to see this sort of kit uh, out and about when we're walking around the streets? These will be commercially available quite soon. The difficulty is the cost of the charges is still fairly high for the bi-directional charges compared to a regular one. So it's a minority sport at present. It's also limited to, just to get geeky, a thing called Chadamo charging, which is a Japanese standard, so pretty much it's Nissan or Nissan, uh, maybe Mitsubishi uh, Outlander as well. I expect this to become very popular because of the benefits in terms of the cost of the electricity you're not paying for your electricity you're being paid to plug in we wait to see the actual figures we're here inside the carport you can probably hear the the echo so if i was to charge the car i would simply unlock it open the car charge point simply take the charge point off the wall and then plug it into the car and that's it that's the fan that's the fan on the charge point just coming on and then you can see in the car that there's the blue lights flashing on the dash to show that the charge has started all right so just just to recap the 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 infrastructure in the car i'm fascinated by this i i hadn't actually realized that there are two different sockets in the car so there's one which is the chadamo system which enables vehicle to grid so that one allows charge to go in and out through the same cable and then you've got this other socket and that's just for charging the car up at a normal charging station that's a one-way socket is it yes that's the the one-way socket so previously when i just had a normal charge point where i was simply just taking electricity from the grid or the house and then putting that into the car i was using what is the the orange flap if you like that was the old charge point but because the vehicle to grid charger is bi-directional and potentially has more energy flow it needed a um, a tethered cable and it works off the the chadamo connector which is the one you see here this probably sounds a bit weird. I'm getting a little bit excited about this, but this is this is all news to me. I hadn't realised that electric cars come with two sockets. Are all electric cars like this? And are they all going to be able to do vehicle-to-grid charging? It is forecast that we'll see bidirectional charging on the European standard, which is called CCS, in the next couple of years. So we're waiting for that to come through. So it, it will happen very shortly afterwards. I, I am quite jealous about your setup, Rosita. The, the, the box is, is sleek and neat, just plug and play, and it decides whether it's going to charge your car or take some juice out and power your house. I think that's, that's amazing. All you have to do is physically plug the lead in and everything else is done for you. That's amazing. Yeah, um, exactly. To me, it's charging my car is no different to charging my mobile phone. I've simply got to plug the cable in, 
and then forget about it. Usually do that overnight when I'm asleep, so I'm doing something else at the time. Um, It's a no-brainer. How important is it to have your own charging point here and how much do you use the public uh, charging infrastructure that's in Nottingham? That's a really good question and I think it's very pertinent because I I do accept I'm one of the the lucky people that does benefit from off-street parking. It's absolutely, as an EV driver, if you have off-street parking, it's the simplest way to charge. It's connected to your domestic tariff and so you're likely to be getting a better rate and if you have the benefit of having solar panels on your roof then you've also got that option that drives down the price. Um, We do have lots of public charges here in Nottingham Um, in fact there's one that's not too far away from here so on the odd times when I've needed to do multiple journeys in a day and I've not had time to wait for my slow charge to happen I have used the rapid chargers which is which is great as a fallback but for some people like you um, I imagine it's it's more of a an essential facility or necessity than it than it would be for someone like myself so I am very sympathetic to the need for more charging points um, available not just here but all over the country if more people are going to drive electric. Rosita's obviously very lucky being one of the first guinea pigs on this fascinating vehicle to grid trial. I shared my excitement with Centrica's Chris Jackson and asked him if my enthusiasm was justified. I'd never say temper your enthusiasm, John. You know, like you, I'm also really interested in the whole VTG concept and, and where it can fit in, uh, you know, as growing numbers of households and businesses begin to take, you know, more control of their own energy usage and, uh, and generation. I'm really pleased that British Gas and others are taking part in trials like these so we can all collectively learn you know, more about the benefits that, that they can bring and, and crucially kind of where they will fit in in the the energy system of the future. You know, however, you know, personally, I think there's there's a little little way to go before we can say with confidence that V2G is really going to deliver on its on its early promises. But that's the point of the trial. We're already making great strides. If we think about, you know, smart charging your, your electric vehicle when the grid is cheaper and greener, I think, you know, vehicle to grid will give us, you know, something else on top of that as well. And I do really, however, you know, like the ability to use a big battery, you know, in the EV to power other stuff. You know, starting to see the first EVs on the market now, the Honda e, for instance, and shortly models from, you know, Lucid Air, and there's a, you know, a few from, from Rivian that can actually output from the battery. Yeah, sometimes, you know, around about three kilowatts, so a meaningful amount of power via a standard power outlet in in the vehicle so here in the uk it'll be a, a three pin plug that you can uh, that, that you can use so that gives you kind of you know endless possibilities you can use your vehicle like an like a power bank if you're out camping if that's your thing also to you know to power household goods you know microwave while you're out on a uh, on, on a trip for instance you know power tools which are really important for businesses like not like centrica that have fully electric vans um i've even seen it um powering another electric vehicle so a Honda e charging a, a Tesla Model 3. Um, so the, the possibilities are endless. I'm really excited for that. Rosita, from whom we heard a little earlier, has been driving her electric car for about five years now. And Mike is, of course, pardon the pun, in the driving seat of our electrification journey. I wanted to ask both of them about their own relationship to their cars and how they feel about range anxiety. I'm not going to lie, the first time I went on a long journey, <laughs> you, you, you do experience that anxiety. But I think it's, it's, it's learning about the technology. I think it's learning about 
okay, how much do I have in my tank? Um, understanding things like regenerative braking and the fact that you can actually control just how much the energy that you're using in the vehicle depletes and the fact that you can just change your driving style to optimise your range. Ultimately, as your confidence increases, you know what the vehicle can do. Um, You know, usually I do the same journeys, at least I did do, before the pandemic um, on the odd chance, maybe going to work, but going to the gym, shopping, visiting family and friends. So I knew how many miles I was doing and and how often I needed to charge the car thankfully I've never really been caught short you know I think there's this perception that all you know cars just get abandoned by the roadside because they've completely ran out of juice I've never had that happen to me and I've been driving an electric car for five years and actually we always say uh, range anxiety is for people that don't drive EVs because once you've had one for I'm sad enough to know 10.3 days it goes away we measured it it's gone And, Mike says, there are huge business opportunities afoot. After all, the reason big stores currently have petrol stations is to bring in business. The reason that Asda has a petrol station is to bring customers to them, right? They don't make any money on the fuel. In fact, it's subsidised to be cheap to bring the people there. I can see the same thing happening in retail. The good news for them is you're there for an hour, not five minutes. And I really think somewhere there, there's a business model that, that will end up being useful. Mike Potter there talking about potential business models. I'm with Chris Jackson from Centrica again. What's your response to that, Chris? I completely agree with with the, with the previous comments there. They, this is, for, for me, one of the most exciting things that owning an EV will bring. We're already starting to see new, new, new businesses and really embracing the idea that an electric vehicle driver could be there for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. If it's something like, you know, um, a long stop for, for a meal break, they could be there 45 minutes, an hour. So wherever a vehicle parks or, or indeed sleeps, then what can you do around there that will actively engage these new customers? So we're starting to see, you know, uh, places like gyms having electric vehicle charging, cinemas, shopping centres. So that's really exciting. And, and there's, you know, there's lots of new new things going on there. Once again, this podcast has educated me and persuaded me to change my mindset. In the same way that it's now completely natural for me to take a canvas bag to the supermarket and I never buy a plastic one, I can see that my relationship with my car is going to change and my charging routine will become part of my everyday life. So, onwards. John, that's fantastic to hear. You know, um, uh, another electric vehicle convert. Um, It's exactly what we need more active travel more electrified travel uh, well welcome to the fold john thanks so much chris that was chris jackson head of fleets for centrica i want to give the final word to rosita who is very persuasive the time is right john i don't know what you're waiting for you live in west london there's charge points everywhere i think you've got plenty of choice um i think it is a bit of a sort of dabbling into using apps and using maps that are available to find out um, where charging points are, um, what the prices might be, what the access arrangements might be, for instance, if it's in a car park that's locked overnight. Once you understand all of that, I think you'll start to find certain, um, you know, favourite spots, if you like, quiet destinations that you can work into your lifestyle. Um, So you'll make charging work for you. So, yeah, I would definitely encourage you to go electric. I, I, I do like apps. I, I've got no problem with an app. I, I think I've been convinced that, that there will be 
a way for an app to take this mental load off me. So, yeah, you've convinced me. And we need to ultimately shift in that direction if we're going to help save the planet and, you know, reduce um, the impacts of climate change, etc. So my question to you, John, is what are you waiting for? What am I waiting for indeed? Thanks for listening to Sendrica's podcast, Power to the People, The Journey to Electrification. I'm John Tickle. Goodbye.